Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Cubby blue blood flowing through our veins. Sitting in the bleachers in the rain. We shed a million tears and drank as many old style beers out at the game. Let's go, Cubby Sun Rento, Sun Rento, Sun Rento and the lovable Lucy. Sun Rento, Sun Rento, Sun Rento and the lovable Lucy. Welcome to the Sun Ranto Show. This is a very special edition of the Sun Ranto Show. It's not like our normal episodes when we have Lyle and Michael on uh, the line with us, but instead we have Bleed Cubby Blues, Al Yellen, the managing editor and lead writer uh, at Bleed Cubby Blue, and he's agreed to join the show to talk a little bit about being a Cubs blogger and being a Cubs fan and... Um, just his thoughts on uh, this year's Cubs team and next year's Cubs team. So, Al, thanks for coming on and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, I wanted to start with, uh, you know, you have season tickets, right? So, you go to every game? Right, right. How many yep. games have you, do you have it added up, how many games you've been to? I do actually have, I do actually have it added up. The next Cubs game I go to at Wrigley Field will be the 2500th game. Twenty five hundred. So that'll be twenty five. So be opening day, and plus about two hundred and some uh, road games. But yeah, so opening day next year will be twenty five hundred. Oh, that's cool. Well, I'll be there, and I'll be in the bleachers because I just bought my tickets yesterday, and I got awesome. my tw- my twelve game pack out in the bleachers this year. Just do something a little different. Um, that's great. What is it? Tom Ricketts going to pop out of a cake or something for you? Or you know, you never know what uh, what Tom's going to do uh, in any one given day, and an opening day could be something special. So, twenty five hundred games—that's uh, I'm horrible at math, but that's almost twenty years worth of games, isn't it? Or more than twenty years worth yeah, of games? Yeah, well, it's more. It's more than twenty years. Yeah, worth okay, of games I'm just. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking one sixty two, eighty one, twenty five hundred divided by. I actually counted it up. At, at, I actually counted it up at one point, and I figured out I had been at something like. Um, you know, ten or eleven percent of of no, it's not quite that much. About eight or nine percent of every game the franchise has ever played, which is kind of a lot. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, well, I I think for all the money you've spent on this team, you deserve Tom Ricketts popping out of a cake. Well, you know what we really deserve is a year like we had had this past year. I mean, even though they didn't. Uh, go all the way to the World Series or win. I mean, I think you, you'd agree with me that, you know, we had just an amazing year filled with some great memories and great performances, and it can only get better from here. Yeah, that's that's my hope and feeling, too. And, um, you know, it it really was, I, I think, more than anything, a, a magical year. I mean, I've seen good Cubs teams before, like 2007 and 2008. 08 specifically was a great Cubs team with great players. 
Uh, but this particular year just had that kind of other thing going on, that element of yeah of magic. Yeah, it definitely did. Definitely did. I mean, Anthony Rizzo even said it, you know, he said it one day. And after, after Joe Madden had the magician in, in New York, and he kind of, you know, kind of hit on that as like a, as like a theme. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there were there were kind of magical things going on, and that 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 makes it just even more interesting. Yeah, I, I had a great year, and I think more than anything, I mean, obviously, I'm sad that we didn't go to the World Series. Sad we didn't win it, but um, I'm more sad that I don't get to watch the 2015 Cubs play baseball anymore because it's going to be a new team next year. A lot of the same guys will be around, but. It's not going to be the same, and there was just something different about last year that I think was. I think we all felt it. Those that follow the team closely. Yeah, and hopefully it'll be better. You know, and they'll get past uh, the get past the division series, get past the championship series, get into World Series. And certainly, the team's good enough right now. They just need to, you know, need to fill some spots, need a center fielder, and need some more starting pitching. But you know, this obviously is a good team. Uh, you know, ninety-seven wins is a really good team. Oh yeah. And I guess uh, you're actually answering some of the questions that I have written down here. But um, so uh, the question is, what do you see out of the 2016 Cubs? Is it uh, because of all the rookies? Are we in sophomore jinx land, or do they, or do they become the Royals? Well, see, one of the things that is is so really good about having Joe Madden as manager is I think that he can get these guys to produce. And not have to worry about you know the, the, the media is going to you know think about sophomore jinx. The players are just going to go out there and play their game. Some of these guys are going to have to make adjustments because that's the, the baseball is a game of adjustments. So you know if if uh, pitchers find out how to pitch to Kyle Schwarber, and they will, he's going to have to find out how to hit those guys once they make adjustments. And I think guys like Schwarber and Chris Bryant, Madison Russell, and all these young guys you're talking about are smart enough to do that, and they have the right manager to lead them to do that. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, he seems like actually the perfect manager to lead them through that because he doesn't, he kind of cuts through all the BS and uh, just gets down to the fundamental game of baseball and having fun playing it. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, it, it, I I do agree that we're going to hear a lot of sophomore jinx stuff. I mean, it, isn't it's impossible to get away from the word jinx as a Cub fan? <laughs> it has been for some time. But um, so, what do you think went wrong at the end of the season against the Mets? And because to me, it felt like they hit a wall. Just kind of like after that Cardinals win, it was so over the top exciting that uh, we just ran out of steam. Uh, and what would the Cubs need to add this offseason to change that outcome next year? Well, you know, I don't know that anything really went wrong. Um, you know, they also had a you know exciting win over the Pirates in the wild card game, so there was that, and then they beat the Cardinals. There was no reason they couldn't have beat the Mets. The Mets were just better for, for four games. Uh, they came in, their pitchers knew exactly what they had to do in approaching the Cubs hitters, and they shut them down. And plus... You had the Mets having a guy like Daniel Murphy, who was never that good, be Babe Ruth for a week. Yeah. So, you it know, happens. that kind of thing happens. The Mets, you know, the Cubs weren't bad. Nothing went wrong. The Mets were just better. Mm-hmm. And what do you think uh, the Cubs can do to improve the team from last? I mean, to me, it's like we kind of ran out of pitching in that series, it seemed to me, when you're throwing well, out. They're definitely going to. Yeah, they're definitely going to need another starting pitcher to uh, to add to the mix. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be David Price. That's the big rumor. 
Uh, I just think he's going to be too expensive, even though he's kind of almost come out and said he wants to come to the Cubs. You know, he might wind up getting a, a you know a mid-range guy, and they've even talked about Jeff Samarja, and I, I don't know. I, I don't think I want to do the Samarja thing again, but you know, maybe they will. Uh, there's a lot of other free agent guys out there. There's guys that they've been targeting in trade. They've talked about Carlos Carrasco or Danny Salazar from Cleveland. Uh, one guy I would love to see them go after is, is Jose Quintana from the White Sox, uh, who's a real solid, you know, number three or number four pitcher. He's got a real team friendly contract. So they can make trades. They definitely need some starting pitching help. They need a new center fielder now that Dexter Fowler is gone, although they could still sign Fowler back. So those are the two big, big places they need to make improvements. Yeah, we saw some Brett Gardner rumors there today. That kind of popped. I don't know if you saw any of that. I'm sure you did. The chatter on Brett Gardner for Castro. Yeah, I think that was kind of silly. You know, it came off of a rumor that was started by a, uh, a New York Daily News writer, and then like three hours later, he walked it back, which is one of the reasons I don't really pay much attention to rumors like that. Yeah. Because you know, ninety percent of the time, they're going to turn out to be nothing. Well, you, you well, you worked in the news, so you know what a slow. And I work in the news now, uh, mostly making fun of it, but. Um, so you know what a slow news day looks like when they're just kind of up there looking for something to talk about or write about. Right now, you're writing in the off season. There's not much going on with the Cubs. Um, how many? Uh, I mean, you. It seems to me that you write about I don't know five articles a day, something like that. About thirty articles a week, sometimes a little less, little more. What What would you say is your average? Because you're very prolific. <laughs> Yeah, it's not all, you know, all the stuff on the site is not mine. Obviously, you write stuff, and I have, uh, you know, Josh Timmers who writes about the minor leagues and, and does, uh, you know, does links uh, for me and other articles, and I've got Rob Huff who writes about trades. So we've got other guys taking care of some of the, some of the load off of me. Uh, right now, you know, you've got the off-season, so there are very specific things you can write about. You know, I like doing a history series every year, so I'm recapping every every Cubs win. Yeah, I've been enjoying year. that, actually. You know, you could... Yeah, you can read about a you can read about a Cubs game every day, and it will never be a loss. So I thought that was <laughs> kind of fun to do. And then, then uh, doing a, a little series on you know all the you know various free agents that are around and how they might fit. Some of them are better fits than others. So you know those aren't too hard to do. Um, you know maybe three or four articles a day during the during the off season just to kind of keep people engaged and thinking about baseball. Now you worked at uh, WLS before. That's ABC, right? Before, right, uh, right. before, does that before bleed cubby blue or did you work that was, at, well, at the I same kinda, time? I kind of started that. I kind of started that uh, while I was still there, and then uh, I went to do this full time about six years ago. And uh, it, how do you think uh, working at a, a TV station prepared you for kind of the madness of Cubs blogdom? Well, it's, you know, one thing is an understanding. I was involved in, in writing, uh, writing or producing news. I was a director, but you know, being involved in in uh, in the media operation, at least any the you know understanding of what it takes to put together, you know, a product that you're putting out for the public to see. So that yeah, it did give me some background in that. You know, I have no I have no school training or formal training in journalism. This is all you know, all stuff I picked up myself. Yeah, I see you went to uh, Northwestern University. So that, I guess that That's means, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you must but think you're smarter than me, huh? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to go there. I will kidding. not go there. I'm just kidding. And what interested you in writing about team? You obviously were a fan. 
But uh, why did you want to start BCB and work with SB Nation on it? And what what, what, what just, attracted you? I started a personal blog in 2003. It was kind of time when, you know, everybody was doing that because it was a thing. And, you know, very quickly, it wound up being mostly about the Cubs. There was some other stuff in there, but it was mostly Cubs. And uh, a couple of years after I started it, uh, the people who were starting up SB Nation, it was really very small company there came to me and asked me if I wanted to join up with them. So, and they, you know, they offered a a better platform than, than blogger, which is what I was working on at the time. Mm -hmm. So I figured I would, I figured I would, I I would join them and, uh, you know, it turned out to be a a really good decision. And uh, now you're, you're pretty much an institution out in the bleachers. Uh, And have you always sat out there and how long have you had season tickets in the bleachers? We've had season tickets in the bleachers since 1993, which is the first year they offered them. Um, as it turns out, there was a um, another guy who was a longtime bleacher regular who I'd known for many years, and I were independently lobbying the ticket office to sell season tickets, and finally in 1993 they agreed. But I've been sitting out there on a regular basis since 1979. So you were back in the, uh, the, the $4 stand-outside day-of-game days. Which I, a lot of people don't know that. Right, Could you well, talk a little bit about how the bleachers used to work? Yeah, I mean, until 1984, they did sell bleacher tickets only on the day of the game. So, you know, when the Cubs got popular, you'd have to... There were people who did sleep overnight out there in, in the 1970s, uh, especially on weekends, to get tickets on what would ordinarily be sold out games. And, you know, the Cubs kind of uh, winked at the uh, 3,300 official capacity of the bleachers. They routinely oversold it by several hundred tickets <laughs> until uh, opening day in 1978. They had 3,000 people in line at 8 in the morning, and they the people started climbing the walls to get in. So they decided to open the park, and that was after that they decided to sell opening day tickets to the bleachers on it in advance. And then after 1984, where there's some, there were some kind of ugly incidents in line, pushing and shoving, uh, because of how popular they were in 84. And that, that's when they stopped the uh, day game only sales and started selling bleacher tickets in advance. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, that's where I used to go as a kid. Now, now they're some of the most sought after expensive seats in the ballpark. But when I was a kid, my mom would send me, uh, she worked in Park Ridge and she would uh, probably from about, it was probably about 1984, 85 when she started doing this, sending me on the, uh, the, the, uh, the blue line to the Addison, uh, bus, and I'd take that over with ten bucks in my hand, four dollars, get me a bleacher seat, and then I'd get a big gulp and a hot dog at Seven Eleven across the street, and that was the day, you know. So I'd get there for this batting like, practice. This is not, yeah, and this is not an unusual story for you know people like you who grew up in the neighborhood. I got uh, you know friends who are you know my age, a little older than that, who you know ten, fifteen years before that, that's what they would do. They you know, and at that at that time, tickets were a dollar. So, you know, you send the kid out with a couple of bucks and they can have a ball game and, and lunch. Yeah, yeah. It was And it was a great way to grow up. And um, I, I must admit, like, the bleachers, I, I don't, they're a little tamer than maybe they used to be back in the bleacher bum days, really, because you have a lot of people paying upwards of, you know, $80, $100 a ticket or a lot of the more premium games to get in, especially on the secondary market. But, I mean, I, I learned um, – I think too much too soon out there <laughs> at a tender age. Yeah. Um, so it, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, so why, why the bleachers specifically? Did you like it out there? I mean, 
is it the, you know, the fans, the, people, the sun? It's the, it's, it's the people you meet. It's the uh, the relationships you you uh, you you put together over the course of many years. I mean, I made lifelong friends who I've met in the bleachers. You know, people go to each other's weddings and funerals, and uh, you know, kind of you're you're part of a community out there, and that's what's really appealing. You know, beyond of course the baseball, which is why you're there, and everybody's there to be a baseball fan. I mean, yeah, there's some people who are out there more uh uh to drink than others, uh which you know, I think there's nothing wrong with having a few beers, but people who go out there just to drink, I just I don't care for that. I think you know, so you should be out there to watch baseball. D- drink and fight is the is uh, Yeah, some... there's been fortunately there's been less of that. In fact this year there was almost none of that because the Cubs were so good people were into the games and that always helps. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it, and, and what strikes me about the bleachers specifically is that it, there's really nothing like them in any other ballpark where, uh, there's not too many general admission areas. I know that the Rockies, I went to their, um, like left field landing area, which is kind of just like a big bar, but the idea is not to watch the game. They've got couches and TVs and extra food and stuff. Um, but there's not any, I can't think of a single other general admission area in, in no, I, any I, other no, ballpark. I think, I think, I think Wrigley's the last one, the only one. And, you know, they understand that they have, they have something special out there. So I think that's going to stay that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful it does because it's, it's kind of nice to be able to say, Hey, I've got a bleacher ticket. If you want to meet me at the game, just get yourself a bleacher ticket, you know? And then uh, you don't have to worry exactly. about sneaking in seats and can you move over kind of stuff that you have to do in the bowl. And then, and if right. and, go and, ahead, and it's a way for you know if you have season tickets like I do, and have like a group of regular season ticket holders we all sit together. You want to bring a couple extra friends to the game. You can just tell them, hey, get a ticket, you can sit with us. Exactly. And did did you always sit in left field? No, uh, in the old bleachers before two thousand six. Uh, I sat in right field. We had a little uh, section where there were two short benches in right center field, and I, I was, part, was part of that. And when they rebuilt the bleachers in 2006, that was gone. So we moved over to the left field corner where it has kind of the same little, you know, intimate little corner. You don't have to climb over 25 people to get out of your, you know, get out of your seat to get just to get to the aisle. Um, and, you know, I, I will tell you that in that old section in, uh, in uh, the right field bleachers, and I was sitting with with some old timers there who had literally been coming there since the park opened, and uh, that was that was cool. We got a lot of really good old stories from those guys, so most of which are not printable. <laughs> no, but you can do it on my podcast. There's no rules here. <laughs> um, well, I think that you're probably in line for some sort of plaque soon. I was out in uh, Cleveland this year, and I hung out with uh, John Adams. The uh, Indians drummer, you know the guy that sits up there and bangs you, that big I, drum. And I they gave, tell you, if I had seen near him, if I had seen near him, I don't think I'd be real happy. <laughs> no, I, it was pretty annoying. But I think he people sit by him because they want that that atmosphere. Um, they want to go talk to him and meet him. He's actually a really really nice guy. Talk to him for. Uh, a good oh, forty-five sure. minutes, but um, he's got a plaque, and I believe it's a twenty-five hundred game plaque. So uh, maybe maybe something needs to be done because I mean, if you're looking at opening day twenty game twenty-five hundred, you should at least get what that uh, that annoying drummer gets. 
Because well, you don't piss people yeah, off half right. as much. I, <laughs> I honestly, all I really want is to see a World Series win. That's good enough for me. Yeah, that's that's the, the plaque on your heart. Um, and exactly to me, I mean, and that's kind of brings me to my next question is because I've always felt that being a Cubs fan is being is different than being a fan of just about any other team. And and part of it's because of our you know long kind of famous history of um, ineptitude and, and getting close and not quite getting the brass ring. But um, what would your do you have any thoughts on that? Like how is a how are Cubs fans different from anybody else from any other team? And what brings us together and makes us kind of a special tribe? Well, you know what you say is the biggest part of it. You know having not having not won and. Um, I think that one of the um one of the things that uh I think everybody understands is that, you know, having gone through all this together, all this losing and all the heartbreak and everything, and this year wasn't really heartbreak. This year was a loss. And but you know, I think people understand that, you know, it was kinda of like playing with house money. Uh mm-hmm. we you know, the Cubs had a great year, but this was totally unexpected, came out of nowhere. And I think everybody's very happy uh, with it and to understand that it should only get better. Uh, but you know the heartbreak of past seasons and of you know um, playoff series lost in soul crushing fashion. Eighty four, two thousand three. You know, yeah, because when so when they win, you will be celebrating with your best friends, and that you know that's a really big part of it to understand that everybody everybody knows how this feels, and so uh, you know everybody will understand everything all you have in your heart that, that you've gone through, you know, whether you're an older fan or even if you're only in your twenties and you didn't, you've only read about 1984 in, 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 uh, you know, in books that you understand what it feels like. The, the one thing I hope that doesn't happen is when the Cubs do win, I hope we don't get like Red Sox fans because they kind of got insufferable. Yeah, no, they, they did. Well, they finally had um, kind of something to throw in the Yankees face. And they used that opportunity, and I, I'm I'm worried about the same thing. Uh, but I will say this: I I do feel like we finally have something to throw back in Cardinals fans' faces when they come for well, us. That's true, and you know one of the differences between the Cubs Cardinals rivalry and Yankees Red Sox rivalry, and those people really hate each other. I don't think Cubs and Cardinals fans really hate each other. I think there's a mutual respect there. You know, I've been to St. Louis. I've seen Cardinal fans at Wrigley. I never have a bad time with them. I always have fun discussing baseball, you know, and I think the Cardinal fans do understand the Cubs are going to be good now, and this rivalry is going to mean something. I mean, you think about it, that playoff series, it was the first time, the first time the Cubs and Cardinals had ever played a postseason series, and it was really the first time that they'd ever played anything that meaningful in the whole history of, of Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. So, you know, that's a big deal, and I hope it's just the start of something that's even bigger. Yeah, well, I, I mean, and I think they're going to be right there for a long time. They're always pretty much right there. I mean, I don't know if you have it on the you know tip of your brain, but how many times have the Cardinals finished in last place? Not a lot. Not many. Not in recent. Not in recent years, anyway. Yeah, and uh, it, now this kind of brings me to because you mentioned like how Red Sox fans became a bit insufferable after winning a couple times. Um, what would you change about Cubs fandom right now, and what would you change about Cubs fans' general attitude about being Cubs fans? I think Cubs fans ought, really ought to understand, try to understand a little better how this team is being put together. I mean, you know, listen, I'm one of those people who 
who, you know, understood what they were doing with the teardown, but I wish they had put a little more competitive team on the field uh, the, the three years before this year. Oh, that was rough. It was tough watching, it was tough watching the 96 lost year and 100 lost year. Uh, obviously, things came to fruition a lot faster than I think anybody had expected. Um, I think people just need to understand that everything's being done. Right now, I think everything's being done in the right way from putting the team together to the way they're redoing Wrigley Field. So you got to trust trust this ownership group, trust this management group. They have had some missteps, you know. They've had cakes thrown out, and they've had Ron Sano memorabilia thrown out where it shouldn't have been. Um, but they're pretty much generally doing the right thing, and I think I think Cubs fans need to trust that. Well, I I think it's just great that we're not owned by the Tribune anymore. Uh, you know, it's, it's really, uh, you could really tell the difference when you have a hands-on management team. Uh, I mean, I wasn't there in the, like the Bill Vec days and stuff, but, uh, when you have a real hands-on management team that is looking to improve the product on the field to get the most value out of their investment, you know, it, it's really, you see a market improvement almost right away in uh, fan experience. For all, bad, you know, for all the bad things people say about Tribune. Um, you know, they did produce six playoff appearances in the 28 years they owned the team. And they did try and improve things. You know, if they had just let Dallas Green back in the 80s stay in his position and do what he wanted to do, they probably would have been winners like they're starting to win now. But yeah. they fired Green and cut the budget, and that was a big mistake. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that the, the, uh, the Cubs under Tribune had the smallest front office in baseball. They had the second smallest number of full-time employees. So obviously when the Ricketts came in, they, they wanted to expand and hire a lot of people. But, you know, in some ways it's become more of a corporate structure that is is trying to hold fans a little bit at arm's length, and I can see why people are not unhappy about, about this. I've heard it described as the Cubs used to be a corporate-owned team run by, like, a family, now they're a family-owned team run like a corporation, <laughs> and there's there's, some, there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that. Um, there, you know, there's so many layers of people you, you got to get through if you want to, you know, want to get anything done. And uh, you know, for the most part, they do they do a good thing. Tom Ricketts, you know, who's the face of the franchise because he's the you know the the, the one that the family's designated as, as the chairman. He doesn't really uh, do anything as an executive per se himself. You know, he's pretty much delegated the business side of Crane County, and he's um, he's delegated the baseball side to Theo and, and his group. And so, you know, he's only there as, as one of the board members to uh, kind of oversee everything. But on a day-to-day basis, for people who, um, you know, blame Ricketts for this or blame Ricketts for that, um, they will, uh, you know, it's it, he's, he's doing the right thing, and it's not all him. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they're just – they have an investment, and they're – obviously, Wrigley was in, has been in disrepair. It's an old ballpark. Uh, they pushed through the renovations. They got the revenue streams they're looking for, and uh, I think it – you know, I, I, as much as – I don't – I'm a, I'm an old-school guy. I, I don't care about video boards and stuff. Um, I was fine without them, but you know what? It was kind of nice having those replays. This year, and it was kind of nice being well, able to see a little bit more expanded statistics, um, even right. slugging and, percentage. And, you know, well, and you know, it obviously those boards are only partly about doing that. A lot of it is about all the ads they can play there. Of course, yeah. And you know what Tom Ricketts, what Tom Ricketts once said to me was, 
Wrigley Field is not a museum. It's, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, wanted the place to stay the way it looked in 1970, and it just can't be that way. They've got to compete with 29 other teams, most of whom have brand-new ballparks with all these fancy new fan amenities and a lot of revenue streams. And if the Cubs want to compete, they've got to have the same revenue streams. You know, is that is that the best way? Is that, you know, that's not the romantic ideal of baseball, but it's the reality of the way the business is right now. And so I, I say bring it on. And I think I will give these guys a lot of credit. They've done the renovations, at least what's been done so far, in a really tasteful way. I, I have no complaints. When the bleachers reopened this year, I, I thought they did a fantastic job of, you know, keeping the bleacher, uh, the bleachers mostly the way they were, adding a few, you know, the, the, those new group areas so they can make money off that. And that's fine, you know. Yeah. From my standpoint, as, as a bleacher fan, nothing really changed except now I can see replays, which is good. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, of course, now they, they can say, well, look, we put up uh, – Video boards, and we were one of the top four teams in all of baseball this year. So they'll always have that to point to. Um, yep. And uh, no, and so this year was really fun. But I'm I'm sure, like I don't know if the the most fun you've ever had at a baseball game was this year. Um, it could have been another year, but I I kind of asked you to prepare. Or, or, or even if you have some kind of idea of what would be like one of the most memorable games you've ever seen at Wrigley Field and what, what that game was like and what made it so memorable. Well, I, uh, since you mentioned Wrigley Field, uh, I'll give you that one, but there's another one. Let me, let me tell you another story first. Probably the most memorable thing I, I did in terms of going to a baseball park was the, the days that um, they relocated the uh, Astros-Cubs games from Houston to Milwaukee because of Hurricane Ike. And I thought, you know, they knew they were going to play two games, one on a Sunday night and the other one on a Monday afternoon. And I was still working in TV then. I was working early morning hours. So my choice was I could either call my boss and ask for Monday off so I could go to the day game, or I could go Sunday night and just not get a lot of sleep and go into work on Monday. And I thought, you know, I'll just go Sunday. And that's how I got to see Carlos Zambrano's no-hitter, which was <laughs> awesome. I mean, to go to Milwaukee, and there's 23,000 people there, and they're all Cubs fans, because all the Cubs fans drew up, drew up from Chicago for that. And to see a no-hitter was just amazing. Uh, I will give you, let me, now let me give you the Wrigley story. This was the last day of the 1984 season. Cubs had already clinched the division. They were, everybody knew there was going to be a playoff game a couple of days later. And they're playing the Cardinals on the last day of the year. And they're tied 1-1 in the, in the bottom of the ninth. And Bruce Souter, the former Cub, is on the mound for the Cardinals. And he's trying to get what had then been a record-breaking save. So, long story short, the Cubs, you know, scored the winning run, a walk-off win, and nobody left the ballpark. I mean, you had a full house, Cubs played the Cardinals, and everybody stayed. And about 10 minutes after the game ended, players started coming out of the clubhouse. You know, some of them were in shower clogs. <laughs> you know, starting to get undressed. And they quickly put their clothes back on. And these guys all wanted to come back to do a victory lap. Now, you remember when this was? This is 31 years ago. Right. Teams didn't do that then. You yeah. know, now they all do it. But that was something that, you know, people hadn't seen. And it was, you know, that really was a very special moment. It sounds like it was fan-generated, too. Like, it, people it, would Yeah, leave. it was. And it was, it, you know, that the Cubs hadn't been in the postseason in 39 years. Everybody wanted to, you know, thank this team for what they had done, and they wanted to come out and, and give give it back to us. And and, and anyway, 
you know, I, I, I recorded um, every game in September of 84 because I wanted to say I saved all the wins, got rid of the losses. I still have that tape. It's an old VHS tape. Every now and then I take that out and watch that ninth inning again just because it's, it was so special. That's beautiful. And, you know, it's speaking of like, because 2015, I think, was a really special year, but 84 had something, too. Some, something to that team as well. Some kind of magic going on with uh, Gary Matthews and Bob Dernier and Ryan Sandberg, of course, and Moreland. Yeah, a lot of stories. And you know, it, it lasted up until, lasted up until the last two games of the season. It was, oh, it was yeah. really great. Well, that was my first heartbreak. I'll tell you that much, because I became a fan in 82. Uh, somewhere around there when I first became, when we moved to Chicago, I became a fan right away. And so 84, I mean, I was 10 years old. That's right in your boyhood wheelhouse of getting your heart broken. <laughs> so, oh, well, I cried and, for, and cried. Me, that age, you know, for me, that age was 1969. I was, that was when I was that age. So, you know, you, you know how, you know how that felt. Yeah. And that's how I felt that year. And we didn't even get to the playoffs that year. Yeah. First little bit of scar tissue on that heart, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, and I feel yeah. like that team, uh, I went and saw the panel. Uh, they had it on a early Sunday morning at uh, Cubs convention uh, two years ago when it was the 30th anniversary of the 84 team. And those guys all still love each other very much. You could tell that oh, they no had question. a great no time question. together. So you could just you could just tell there's something there with that team. No doubt. So so I think I lost you for a moment. I don't know. Uh but you're back. So I just uh I, I got I got a question out of left field for you and then we're going to wrap this up. Who do you think would win in a kickboxing match between you and Bleacher Nation's Brett Taylor? Oh Brett, yeah, there's no way I'm Brett. You know, Brett's. I don't know how exactly how old Brett is, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's twenty twenty plus years younger than me. So uh, I think I think I think I give that to Brett. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think you could take a punch. You know, Brett's kind of a slighter guy. You know, it's it's possible that he could just you could just sit stand there and let him wind himself and then just clock him one. Uh, let's let's put it this way. I hope I never have to find out. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, and uh, finally, uh, Sun Ranto show the Sun Ranto show. We're doing a uh, book club uh, for the off season because we're we all miss baseball so much. And our our first book that we're reading all together, which was su- suggested by the director of the Negro Leagues Museum, is only the ball was white. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading that one. I don't know if you've read that or not. It's the history of I the Negro Leagues, not, but I. I can recommend I can recommend a similar book. Uh, about That's what I'm asking. One here. that was written by Buck. Uh, well, I, 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 since you're on that topic, I will recommend Buck O'Neill's book called "I Was Right on Time." It's a history about uh, you know his experiences in the Negro Leagues, and because Buck O'Neill was a scout for the Cubs, there's a lot of Cubs-related stories in that book, including stories about Ernie Banks and Billy Williams. Oh, cool! That are really worth reading. So, yeah, I would highly recommend Buck O'Neill's book. That sounds like that should have been our first book for the book club with all the Cubs-related I, I, stuff. Actually, you know, I've actually heard that Only the Ball is White was, is a really good book, and I've, I've got to get that on my list. But uh, the O'Neill book is, is, is definitely worth reading. Well, I bought it on Amazon used for $4. So I was I'm, – hey, I'm happy. Such a deal. And any yeah. other any other books you might want to suggest for the off-season reading pleasure of Cubs fans that are missing baseball? Oh my God! There's so many. 
I can't really even, I got I have to go look at my, my bookshelf to, to even give you an idea. There's, there's so many good baseball books. You know, here, here's an interesting book that, that, uh, is, that you guys might want to think about. It's called Crazy 08. It was a book about the 1908 season. Um, you know, when the Cubs won the World Series. And you not only get the, the flavor of the baseball that was being played, but you get a lot of talk about, you know, what life was like in, in America in 1908. Uh, really well written and really kind of, it's a, it's a good read. It's not, you know, it's not stuffy or anything like you would expect a history like that to be. So, uh, Crazy 08 is the name of the book. Cool. Yeah, I wrote, I just wrote it down. I just read a book called, uh, The Glory of Their Times, which, uh, goes back through, uh, an interviewer in the 60s went back and interviewed a bunch right. of. Right. And yeah, that, that's one of the, that's one of the best baseball books of all time. I'd recommend that to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I've been recommending that across the board. And then, um, yeah, we, we decided not to get, it wasn't very Cubs centric, not that the, uh, Negro League one was, but that we were talking about the Negro Leagues and it, none of us knew much about it. So we decided to do something on the Negro Leagues first just to learn something we haven't learned that we don't know about. And it's a shame that we don't know about. So, yeah. Right. So, well, thanks for all the uh, the book recommendations and for your opinions on the Cubs and, uh, you know, just letting everybody get to know you a little bit better because I know a lot of the listeners of this podcast uh, go to Bleed Cubby Blue religiously. Um, on a on a daily basis, and so uh, I'm sure that it's it'll be nice for some of them to just kind of hear your voice and get to know you if they haven't met you. And of course, if they want to meet you, they can always go uh, bother you in the left field corner if they want. Yeah, you know where to find me. Hey, you know I appreciate that. So to all the readers, you know all you uh, people who are listening to this podcast who read uh, Bleed Cubby Blue, I appreciate that. Thanks for reading, and you know, I hope you find more stuff you like there. Well, there's definitely if if you don't like one article, you're going to like the next one because there's five or six a day it seems. More, more I think more than more than any other Cubs blog out there and most blogs in general. So, and I appreciate uh you letting me uh put my music on there and some of my crazy travel stories cuz it's been a lot of fun. Your stuff is great. Your your stuff is great. It's it's entertaining, it's different, it's interesting. I just uh you know, I, I love having that offbeat stuff. Yeah, well, I love being offbeat, <laughs> so it works out for both <laughs> of us. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the Sunranto show. I appreciate it, and uh, let's go get them next year. Oh, sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, cool. Uh, I will. I will see you at spring training and talk to you sooner. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. Since we want it all, well, brother, it's been forever. But as a Cub fan, you keep hope alive, cause things can only get better. In 1908, we won in spring, summer, and fall. Champions of baseball But ever since then It's been October tears For a hundred plus years And I guess that 
I'd rather be than at Wrigley Field in the stands. I've been round this world. I can honestly say Chicago has the greatest fans. 7-8, love the Cubs through it all, and if they've taught me one thing, it's how to wait, and wait we do, and I guess that's why I bleed Cubby Blue, Tinker's Ever's Chance, show one Cases in tight pennant races, and I guess that's why I bleed Cubby Blue. I don't know what the big deal about Cracker Jack is. Do you ever go buy a pack of? Cracker Jack, thinking you're going to get a prize, find no prize in the box. Let me hear you! Don't believe the curse. Boston won, Babe Ruth's gone. Curse reversed. Besides, who in the hell would bring a goat to the World Series anyway? Uh, yeah, seriously, what's that all about? I mean, that, that border's on sick. And I guess that's why I bleed Cubby Blue. A W flag when the Cardinals lose. Fergie Santo Williams, Sosa and Dawson, Vanilla Harry Carey. It would be so awesome. Cause a world As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.